The Earth often seems like it is a nice little closed system. Sure, we get the energy from the Sun, but everything affecting it is within the atmosphere. That is not exactly true. The Sun is also spewing a constant stream of charged particles that slam into the magnetic field of our planet, altering its shape. This is just part of what we call space weather. For the big question of this episode, we're going to be asking Dr. Nigel Meredith from the British Antarctic Survey, what is space weather and how does it affect us? Would you mind uh, starting by introducing yourself and uh, telling us what you do? Okay, my name is uh, Nigel Meredith. I'm a space weather research scientist at the British Antarctic Survey. I develop models, global models of um, plasma waves in space, which are ultimately fed into our radiation belt models, which are also used for forecasting the space weather environment in near Earth space. And um, I also, I'm also interested in um, calculating worst case scenarios. So for example, I've worked out the one in 10, one in 50, and one in a 100 year space weather event um, for um, various orbits around the Earth. That is very, very interesting. Uh, shall we start by discussing what do we mean by space weather? Well, the term space weather refers to variable conditions on the sun that can basically influence the performance of um, technology, both in space and on Earth. The main source of um, space weather is the sun. Mm -hmm. We have explosions on the surface of the sun. They send out bursts of charged particles and magnetic field into space. And when they reach the Earth, they can tear open the geomagnetic field giving rise to a geomagnetic storm. Mm -hmm. And this can cause disruption to um, satellites, to communication and navigation signals, to aviation, and also to power supplies. The nature of this risk is such that um, severe space weather was added to the UK National Risk Register back in 2012. Cool, um, yeah, so it's uh, something that can be extremely dangerous. <laughs> Um, how do you monitor that? Uh, um, both in general, uh, if you monitor space, uh, but also you specifically, where do you get uh, uh, the data to keep an eye on the sun and how the, um, the magnetic sphere around the Earth uh, is changing? Okay, well, there, there are various um, monitors. There are monitors at the so-called L1 point, which is outside of the Earth's magnetosphere towards the sun, and that measures conditions in the solar wind. And then, of course, we have data from satellites themselves in situ in the Earth's magnetosphere, where satellites orbit. And then we can also make measurements on the ground as well. Mm -hmm. So we make measurements um, of the waves in space on the ground, and also electrical currents that are caused by the aurora. We can detect these on the ground as well, and that's where the Antarctic comes in. So for example, one of the main threats to satellites are, are so-called killer electrons. Mm -hmm. Now these electrons have energies of the order of a mega electron volt, which means they're traveling at a, a very high fraction of the speed of light. And these um, relativistic electrons, they can penetrate satellite surfaces 
and embed themselves in uh, insulators and ungrounded conductors. And here the charge can build up. So the charge builds up, the electric fields get stronger, and eventually they can reach levels which um, can cause breakdown. And this leads, if you like, to a spark, yeah. which isn't good news for electronic components. And sometimes the effects are relatively minor, but sometimes, occasionally, very rarely, an entire satellite can be lost if this happens in the wrong place. So we build models here at BAS of the space weather environment, taking into account the plasma waves in space. Now, these waves have been, one particular type of wave called chorus has been shown, or we've shown that it's important for accelerating these electrons to high energies. We can measure these both in space and on the ground. And this is where Halley comes in. We have a VLF receiver at Halley, which detects the very low frequency uh, radio waves from um, the chorus emissions. And we use them to help us study the effects of space weather on the, the, the radiation environment and also any potential links with uh, linking space weather to climate change and also um, for lightning detection. Wow, that uh, is amazing and you're doing all of that uh, from uh, Antarctica. So the VLF receiver is in the Antarctic. There's also a Superdawn radar, which was in the Antarctic. It's currently in the Falkland Islands. Okay. And this radar measures electrical currents in the atmosphere. Basically, what happens during geomagnetic storms, you get these beautiful displays of the aurora, but you also get strong electrical currents which heat the atmosphere and they cause it to expand. And this can slow down satellites and space debris and increase the risk of collisions. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the main, uh, the main uncertainty in kind of orbit prediction models. And so the BAS operates the Superdome radar in the Falklands, and it's part of a global network of such radars that can kind of measure and model the heating due to these currents and the effects on space debris and, and satellites in orbit. So different aspects of space weather. One is the environment itself, And then the other is also it can affect the trajectories of um, satellites and space debris in low Earth orbit. That is, uh, that is fascinating. Um, does all solar activity impact Earth? It, that's, a, that's a very good question because we see beautiful pictures of, of the sun on, on, say, Twitter or Facebook. People are always putting up these beautiful pictures showing eruptions on the surface of the sun. But the ones that are important are the ones that are directed towards the Earth. Back in, I think it was 2012, there was a massive eruption on the Sun. But had it been detect- directed towards the Earth, could have caused significant problems. It, as it was, it wasn't. It, it went off to the side, so it didn't come towards the Earth. So you can, you can have a huge explosion on the Sun that doesn't influence the Earth. It's only the ones that come in our direction that are important. You can imagine if someone's firing bullets or something, you know, if they're going yeah. off in a different direction, you're safe. If they're coming towards you, you duck. <laughs> uh, but, uh, well, it would be very difficult for the Earth to duck. What yeah. if there was something big uh, coming towards us? Uh, I'm assuming part of the modeling is to predict what uh, might happen. Uh, is there anything in the works uh, or uh, any kind of... Uh, 
this is what to do if a major explosion on the sun is coming towards a planet. So. Yeah, I think um, you know we've learned a lot over the last ten or twenty years with the with the with the modeling work and the observations um, to um, be able to forecast the radiation environment mm -hmm. up to um, 24 hours ahead and our model uh, does that and it's updated every hour and so that's available on the web for people to use and we also provide a measure of the risk of damage as well and so this information is actually used by satellite operators and engineers and if something is happening or if they, they don't like the look of the the situation at the moment they will Basically, they might bring more people into the building to monitor what's going on. They would certainly um, stop doing non-essential stuff. So if they were about to issue a command for a satellite to do a maneuver or something um, that requires extra communications with the satellite, they would probably avoid doing that because that's the sort of thing that, that, that space weather could potentially interfere with. So the information is used and the operators and engineers are always vigilant to possible problems due to due to space weather. Okay. Clearly there are major events that could uh, put uh, a lot of things uh, uh, at risk uh, but uh, feels that some of most of probably the stuff that you monitor model is uh, the less uh, flashy event let's say that is the continuous changes in the space uh, weather. How do uh, people use those models to uh, make uh, uh, better choices uh, in both protecting stuff in orbit, uh, but maybe even protecting stuff uh, on Earth uh, at higher latitude? I think for the satellites on orbit, the, the great thing about the model and past data sets is that satellite operators and engineers can go back and look at how their satellites have behaved. In fact, they probably do it the other way around. They probably look to see when they've got problems. And then they can say, oh, actually on this day, uh, we had a particular problem with our satellite. And then they can go and have a look at the space weather conditions on that day. And we call that post-event analysis. So mm -hmm. all this information is there. The model results are there. The great thing about the model is that it, it models the whole radiation environment, whereas, of course, we've just got spot measurements from particular satellites. And so this information they can use, and they, it's statistical. It's not always obvious that an event has been caused by space weather, for example. Mm -hmm. There could be other factors, um, just age or just degrading for other reasons, or even a small impact they would take, they might have a database of anomalies, which they could then compare with the space weather environment and, and they then get confidence. So they could think, actually, if we get this kind of condition again, this might happen. Of course, it's not a one-to-one -one correspondence because I've, as I've mentioned earlier, these charges build up over time. Yeah. So it's a bit like the straw that broke the camel's back. You, know, yeah. you can have a big storm and it can build up and nothing can happen. And then maybe something you know, rather benign happens, but it's just enough to make that electric field exceed the breakdown levels. So it's, it's kind of, it is challenging. I can't sure. can imagine, <laughs> I can't imagine. Uh, all right, uh, to conclude, uh, you've done a lot of interesting public outreach, uh, even turning uh, uh, space weather into sounds. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, that's right. The, the amazing thing about the, the VLF um, 
signals that we detect at Halley is that they are actually in the audio frequency range. So they're in the frequency range from about 10 hertz to 10 kilohertz, which is exactly the same as, as, as the sounds that we hear. Now, of course, the, 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 um, the radio waves that we detect, they're radio waves, not sound waves, but we can convert them directly into sound and then play them back through loudspeakers. So we get to experience, if you like, um, some of the space weather environment through our own ears. And it turns out that the sounds are quite remarkable. The, the chorus wave uh, is actually so-called chorus because when you convert it to sound, it resembles the twittering of birds in the dawn chorus. And you've, oh. you have a beautiful cacophony, all kinds of variations. So these waves, um, every time they sound different, And they are some just totally incredible sounds. And then um, these waves, which you detect on Earth at Halley, they can also be um, detected directly in situ, if you like, in space where they're generated. And so when you detect them on Earth, you've got a lot of crackling in the background. And the crackling comes from lightning because every time you have a lightning flash, it gives out a massive pulse of radio waves, some in the VLF range. So you continually hear crackling on Earth. From other parts of the world yes this is what's oh, incredible fascinating so this is totally amazing as well the signals the, the the kind of crackles that we hear at halley typically come from the amazon and congo basins both of which are over eight thousand kilometers away so these signals have traveled all the way from the amazon or congo basins and then they, they sound as crackles and they kind of pollute if you like the chorus sounds and another uh, amazing signal actually comes from the the lightning because some of the radio waves from lightning leak out into space and then they travel along the earth's magnetic field line if you like and then they're collected in the other hemisphere and the signals get distorted because the higher frequencies travel faster than the lower frequencies and so what starts out as like a ping or a crack actually comes back as a whistling sound a descending tone like this And we call that a whistler. So you've got all this activity going on and it's rather fascinating because it also depends on time of day, whether there's a geomagnetic storm going on. So it's like it has its own kind of symphony, if you like. The, and it's, it's basically Earth's natural radio. That is fantastic. Thank you very much for taking the time to explain uh, all of uh, this incredible, incredible science about space weather and uh, how we are turning those uh, uh, models even into sounds. That's right, you're welcome, thank you. Thank you for listening to The Big Questions. Head over to wirefulscience.com for the latest and greatest science headlines. The music in this episode is credited to audioblocks.com. See you next time.